Today is, uh, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start a, a, new, a new series uh, next week, starting next week, and I'm going to address some pop culture issues starting next week, and I'm going to use today as kind of a foundation for that, and kind of how we look at that. Uh, we, we, I'm going to talk to you today about this topic, how to have truthful conversations about controversial topics. Now, I know we have a lot of kids in here, so don't worry. I'm, for all of you parents going, what, are we going to talk about controversial topics? You know, no, I'm not. Just, just, I'm talking about how to have conversations. You insert the topic that you want, but when we took our survey of our church, you know, about, about six months or so ago, we realized you know, that the church post-COVID is different and needs are different. And one of, the, one of the responses we got back consistently from the people at Clearview is that you guys wanted to know more about how, how do I share my faith and how do I have conversations about the gospel of the Lord Jesus at work, in my family, with my travel ball teams, all that. We're actually going to do quite a bit of work on that in October. Got some really cool stuff happening right as we lead up to missions month for that. So today is kind of an answer to something that you know you guys wanted, and how we're going to kind of use this as the launch for how to have uh, these these conversations. So if you got a Bible, turn to Second Samuel. Okay, Second Samuel is where we're going. Second Samuel, right after First Samuel, uh, for all of you that didn't get a donut and some coffee, right? So Second Samuel. Now here's let me let me give you the context of this really quick. This is an electric conversation. This is, a, this is a two men that know each other, David and Nathan. Nathan is a prophet. And we're not going to talk, talk about David today. We're actually going to talk about Nathan. Because everybody, everybody thinks about David in this context. Now, David's gone through a lot, right? His marriage has gone off the rails. He's actually committed some pretty large crimes. There's some things that King David... Who's after God's own heart, the Bible says, but yet his life is derailed in some major ways. And everybody, and, and I want to tell you about it. this story, by the way, just so you know, this story is about David. The context is about David. But let me tell you something I've kind of learned to do with, uh, in my own faith journey, just to help you as you study the Bible on your own. One of, the, one of the most rich ways that, that i found to study the scriptures is I, I often, especially with the gospel narratives, any of the gospel stories, but I, I tend to look at them almost like you would a play or a movie. You know, you, you got your favorite movies, right? And one thing I love about movies is different people resonate with different characters in those movies. You know, some people, if you watch Tombstone, the greatest Western ever made in the history of all Westerns, right? Uh, so that's right. Somebody said amen. That's right. Amen or oh me, right? Um, but there's some of you, you know, oh, you just love Doc Holliday. And some of you love Kurt Russell or Sam Elliott, the ultimate man, you know, who's got the best voice ever, you know. So you got different people that you can kind of see. So it's called method acting. And you kind of look at it, look at it through their lenses. And, and one of the things I've learned over time is sometimes you can look at a situation because there's usually more than one player. And there's usually more than one player in a story. And in this particular story, the focus is on David because it should be on David. But there's another player in the story, and we tend to overlook this guy, and that's Nathan the prophet, right? So, so he, and Nathan has a really electric conversation. They're not yelling and screaming, but they're dealing with one another over this. So here's, here's the passage Chapter uh, 12, 2 Samuel 12, verse 1. 
the Lord sent Nathan. The Lord sent Nathan to David. 2 Samuel 12, verse 1. The Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him, and he said... So he starts off with a story. Now, let me, let me just stop. Now, this is David, right? This is the king. It's not just like they're two bros hanging out. They know each other. They obviously know each other enough that he can walk into the president of the United States, so to speak. He can walk into the Oval, have a conversation. But you, you know as well as I do, if you do that... You, you better be on your toes. You can't just casually stroll up in something like that, right? So there's pressure on Nathan, and it says, verse 1, there, he, he starts out with a story. There were two men and one inside of a city. The one was rich and one was poor, verse 2. The rich man had many flocks and many herds. And so, by the way, just so you know, that was capital in those days. That was major capital. You had, you had money if you had flocks. It says, verse 3, the poor man had nothing except one ewe lamb, which he bought and he nourished. And he grew up together with him and his children. I mean, this thing was part of the family. It would eat of his bread and drink of his cup and lie in his lap. And this thing was special to them. And it was like a daughter, it says, like a daughter to him. Now, a traveler came, verse 4, a traveler came to the rich man. And the traveler, the rich man was unwilling to take from his own flock or his own herd to prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him. In other words, this guy, he's got a guest in his house. They need some food. And so it would have been typical to, you know, take one of those and make a meal out of it. But rather, it says, the rich man took the poor man's lamb and he prepared it for him. Verse 5 said, David's anger burned greatly. David's taking the story literally, and he says, and, and he says to Nathan, As the Lord lives, surely the man that's done this deserves to die. And he must make restitution. In other words, then, who is this guy? He must make restitution for the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and had no compassion. And then the story changes. Nathan says to David, you're the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, it is I who anointed you king over Israel, and it's I who delivered you from the hand of Saul. I also gave you your master's house and your wives into your care, and I gave you the house of Israel and Judah, and if that had been too little, I would have added to these things. Verse 9, why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his sight? And he goes on to pronounce judgment to him. And he tells him, this is what God's going to do because you've sinned. Now, this is a hard conversation. And so you know as well as I do, there are times that you encounter people. And, I, and as I was putting this together, it's, this whole this has been kind of a weird sermon week for me because I'm trying to think through, is there a story in the Bible? I mean, there's all kinds of stories where conversations were had, but this one is really unique because it is a hard conversation between two people that care about each other, and one has defaulted on God and one is there to talk to him about it. 
So I'm going to start out this morning. I told you I was going to talk to you about how to have truthful conversations about controversial topics. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. We are, we are, we are God's spokespeople. So how do we do that? Because, you know, I'll be, I'm, I'm going to tell you, honestly, just, well, I'm, I'm hopefully always honest. I'm, let me just be transparent for a second. It's pretty easy. You might think, you might think standing up here is terrifying. You know, it is in the top three of people. Globally, uh, speaking in public is in the top three of the, the human fears across the world, right? Most of you are going, I would never want to be up there. And then people like me, you know, we, you know, strange, psychotic way crave it. Um, but it, it's, it's, it's pretty easy if I'm just being blunt with you, it's pretty easy to stand back here on a stage in a church that believes in the Word of God, and then preach the Word of God. It's a pretty safe crowd in most cases. It's really hard looking into the eyes of your CEO, looking into the eyes of your daughter, looking into the eyes of your cousin that you love. It's really hard looking into the eyes of somebody in algebra class, somebody in a fraternity that you're a part of. When you're face-to-face and nobody's around, you also know, you don't know where it's going to go. So it's not, it's not easy because you don't want the friendship to go sideways. You care, but how do you actually have the hard conversations? Well, I'm going to actually start with a point that actually has nothing to do with this, but it's just a biblical point that I think sets the tone for the rest of it. And I would say when you're having, you ask for it, right? You ask, hey, how do we start having these conversations? How do I share my faith effectively? The first thing I'm going to tell you is love enough to listen. Love enough to listen. Let me tell you what I mean by that. You you, you know as well as I do that you've encountered this a thousand times in your life, haven't you? I'm thinking of one particular time where I was in need of a car. I, I can't remember exactly how old I was. I, I was out of college. I may have been in seminary, but I was, had to buy a vehicle. My dad and I were driving around, and, and uh, that was way before the days of, you know, CarMax and all those things where you just go online and find it and whatever. You know, you actually had to go talk to people, you know. And then when you pulled up on the car lot, here come all the sharks, you know, because they're like, oh, man, you know. And, and, and my dad sold cars when I was little, so I was never afraid of that. I think it's great. I mean, there's a lot of great car. There's a lot of great car salesmen out there. And, and, um, but I remember pulling onto this lot. And this dude comes out, and he's already got the look. I'm already mad, and I ha- he hasn't said a word yet, you know. He's got the, hey, how are you doing today? I'm like, oh, my gosh. I'm just like, you know, he just was cheesy from the get-go. And I started, like, I'm already in the conversation now, and here we go. You know, uh, well, look, I've got to buy a vehicle. And what, here's what he, you know, so he's like, well, what do I got to do to put you in a car today? And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is really not going I mean, like, he didn't even bother to ask me anything about my needs. He doesn't know my name. And here, you know, and, 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 this, and this is a rare moment for me. I, you know, I, 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 you may not know this about me. I don't, you may certainly not have heard this about me. I, I really don't like confrontation. I, 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 I want, but when you're in leadership, there's times you just don't have a choice. But I, I will just avoid things sometimes. I'm getting better. I'm 50, so I'm almost, I'm not far from being just, you know, I just may as well accept it. But I don't like difficult things sometimes. And so I did something I was a little bit proud of myself for. I just walked away. Like, point blank. I was like, thanks. <laughs> and he's like, like, 
he had asked three or four questions and all of it was to get my money. And here's what he didn't know. I had the money in a bag. I was going to buy a vehicle. And, and it, but yet, it was very clear I was not a person. I was a project. And I, and I hate being a project. Because, you know, here's the deal. For all of you, especially those younger than you, they're going into sales. Let me tell you, if you decide to go into vehicle sales, we need some great people in that. You've already won 99% of the battle when the person shows up. They're already telling you something. They're on the lot. Right? They do need a vehicle. If he would have just cared enough to say, hey, tell me, tell me what you're looking for. And, and, and if I didn't, but he made me feel like a project. And you've, you've had this happen to you in a million different situations. I hate feeling like a project. But I, I certainly don't mind being a person. And I would just say, love enough to listen. The people that you're having difficult conversations with spiritually, if you've been living your life for the Lord, they already know what you believe. They already know where you stand. And what they don't know, they'll assume. They already know. But love enough to listen. Proverbs 18 says this. Look at what it says. Spouting off before listening to the facts is both shameful and foolish. You ever done that? I mean, I never have, but I'm just talking about y'all for a minute. You know, so I know some of you have. You ever, you ever just said it too much too quick? Yeah, I have. A lot. And, 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 and so we, I think it's not only shameful, it's, it's just, it's not wise. Learn to listen. James 1 says this. You've heard this verse if you've been in church any. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to speak. No, quick to listen. Slow to speak and slow to get angry. Slow to get angry. Let me tell you why I set this story up before we get into David and Nathan. If, if you'll learn to listen to people, they'll tell you where the wound is. Nine times out of ten, they'll tell you where the wound is. You'll hear it. You'll hear the point of pain. One of the things I've found with people that don't know Jesus, there's a reason they are the way they are. There's a reason they act the way they act. There's a reason they think they believe what they believe. Actually, most people know far more what they're against than what they're for. And they've made up decisions about people that go to church and they're like, I don't want to be like those people. And we are those people. So if you'll learn to listen, let me tell you, I have seen people that don't know Christ that have amazing stories. I've cried with many people that if you understood why they're not a Christian, if you understood why they hold a certain lifestyle that they hold, they're beautiful people that have amazing stories, resilient, stamina, and I would just say, if you'll, be, if you'll do what the Bible says, if you'll be quick to listen, you'll, you'll find the places that you can talk to them about the God that can meet their needs. You know, they say that 80-something percent of communication is nonverbal. I think that's true. People know if you're for them. They know if you care. And so I would say just love enough to listen. And you could win a friend. Now let's get into Nathan and David. Here's a truth about how to have con 
conversations about controversial topics, I would say trust my role as a reconciler. That's for you. Trust my role as a reconciler. I say, what do you mean, Jason? Well, I want you to notice something about, David, about Nathan and David. Okay? Nathan went to David because Nathan cared. He went to David because he cared. And, and, and he cared not just about David. He did care about David. Because David's sin, you know what sin does? Sin breaks things. You ever notice that? Sin breaks things. David's sin had affected families. It was going to affect children. David's sin would affect generations. David's sin had taken him. You know, there's, a, there's an old cliche you may have heard before in church that I think is so poignant. Sin will take you further than you want to go cost you more than you want to pay, and hold you longer than you want to stay. Sin breaks things. And David's sin was breaking everything. So, so Nathan loved David enough to step into it. But he also loved Israel. He loved God's people. And, and, and so if, had he not injected himself into the situation, he was going to be in trouble. And one of the things I love about Nathan in this particular story is Nathan did not avoid the hard conversation. He did not avoid it. Friends, listen to me. We are called to be reconcilers. And if you're going to be a reconciler, you have to understand there is nothing loving. Listen to me close. There's nothing loving about leaving people in their deception. There's nothing loving about that. The, the Second Corinthians says it this way. Paul says, you've seen this verse. I think about this verse often, to be honest. It says that God has committed to us the message of reconciliation, 2 Corinthians 5. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, marketing agents, so to speak, representatives, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We are Christ's ambassadors. We are Christ's ambassadors. Now, you notice something about David in verse 7? Look at, what, look at what happened there. It says, when Nathan says, you are the man, do you notice that David was oblivious to what the story was about? David has been having all these sin issues. He's got all these life issues. He's got all these problems in all kinds of areas of his life. You can read the story. It's a pretty, it could be a movie. He's got all these things going on, and it, but his sin had taken him so far, he couldn't even pick up on the fact. So he had all this indignation for the injustice that was going on. And he's, who is this guy? Find me this guy. And Nathan's like, you're that guy. What? Me? going right over his head because sin hardens the heart sin hardens the heart and so he didn't even pick up on it and I love that Nathan didn't leave him in his deception let me tell you something friends in order for people to be healed they first have to have a diagnosis right I'm no well I am a doctor but you know of, of the non-medical kind I mean I'll give you my opinion on your medical problems but you know I got opinions on all kinds of stuff. But I know this much. You would never go to a doctor that just says, I think we'll just do, you know, exploratory surgery. I don't know what's wrong with you yet. We'll find it out. If it's your knee or your kidney or your shoulder, we'll figure it out along the way. No. Right? Run from that person. <laughs> That's absurd. 
No, diagnosis comes first. And that's when you have to know the truth. You know, my, my granddaddy's doctor, I asked my granddad one time, what made you stop drinking? I was little. I, you know, I just asked stuff constantly. I asked him. There was no holes barred. And uh, bless, bless his heart. He was, I, you know, I asked him all kinds of questions about the war, you know, all kinds of questions that a five or six-year-old boy would ask. But I asked him one time, why did you stop drinking? He said, well, the doctor walked in one day and he said, Josh, here's the deal. I've been knowing you now for about 30 years. You can keep drinking, keep smoking and die or not. I'm tired of talking to you. So he quit. <laughs> that day, he quit. That's a good doctor. You're paying him, aren't you? So I think the reality is truth matters. And I want you to know something about your friends that you work with. I want you to know something about the people in your family at the family reunion. I want you to know something about your followers on Instagram. I want you to know something about the people that you actually care about on your ball teams and in your PTA and PTOs. Those people, the Bible says, is going to, are they going to go to hell when they die if they stay in their deception? And so the reality is there is no restoration. There's no restoration unless they get the truth first. First. Friends, listen, you can walk up to a person and whisper in their ear that they need to repent. Or you can scream it. I don't care how you do it. Nobody wants to hear it. David didn't really want to hear it either. But it jolted him. So I would say to you, learn to listen well and be a reconciler. Let me tell you something. I'm, just gonna, I'm gonna tell you, if, if you find yourself, based on that verse right there, if you find yourself in the middle of a controversial topic at work, if you find yourself on the phone in the middle of a controversial conversation where a person is living in deception, you can go ahead and automatically assume that conversation is ordained by holy God. You know why? Because you are a minister of reconciliation. I, I don't have your friends. I don't know your friends. I don't work with the people you work with. I don't have your neighbor. You don't have my neighbors. I'm not on ball teams. I don't coach teams that, that you're on and vice versa. I don't know people in your world and you don't know really people in mine. I'm telling you, if you find yourself face to face in a conversation where there is deception on the table, you need to know you are the person for that moment, you. And you don't have to be mean, you don't have to be ugly, all you have to do is be honest. Just be honest. Because you are Christ's ambassadors. So let's get to the meat of it all. Almost every sermon has a thing that you're really waiting to say. And this is what I've been wanting to say. This is where all of this started for me. When I began to look at this series a long time ago, months ago, I would tell you to learn to listen well. I would tell you to trust your role, God-given role as an ambassador. And the third truth I would give you is keep the conversation grounded on God's authority. 
Now, remember, we, we, we said the topic today is how do, I have, how do I have truthful conversations about controversial topics? And I'm going to give you, if you'll, if you'll stay with me for just a second, I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you because I know, you know, hey, listen, it, it goes the same for me. Somebody's saying something that, I mean, we've all done it, right? You've all been in conversations at work or with family and something was said that you're like, oh my gosh, the amount of deception in that statement is beyond. I mean, I'm just in the line at Walmart, God, please. All I want to do is check out. You ever had that happen to you? You know, it's like there's, there's been me and, and tr- I've failed that test sometimes in my life. I'm like, oh. Uh, I'm going to pray for him or something. Oh, man. When your heart goes, oh, do I? Oh, I, listen, I've gotten on, I've been in more than one situation where God has prompted me to say something. I'm like, oh, come on. No, man. I'm just at Sonic. I just, I just, really? You know? But I, I'm going to tell you. Keep the conversation on God's authority. Let me tell you why that matters. Nathan did that. I want you to look in verse 9. Nathan does something that is genius right here. It's genius. He's speaking on behalf of God. He is the prophet. and He says, thus saith the Lord in verse 7 and then again in verse 8. But then he says something in verse 9. That is perfect. He says to David in verse 9, Why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight? Do you notice what he didn't say? He didn't say, Why did you do what you did to Uriah? Tell me why you did what you did with Bathsheba. Tell me why, David, he, he, notice he didn't go to behavior. Did you see, pick up on that? He took it straight to God, and he made David deal with God and not Nathan. He made David deal with his God. He didn't look at the behaviors, because that's what we do. Look at what he says. Look at, look at, look at, look at, I put it on the screen for you. Why have you despised the word of the Lord? Not, you didn't despise Uriah, you didn't despise Bathsheba, you didn't lie to anybody but God. But he, he said, by doing evil in his sight. That word despise, you know what it, you know what it means in, in the, the root of the word? The word, dis, the word despise means this. Go to, the, go to the next image there, I wrote it down for you. Yeah, despise literally means to raise the head loftily. It, it, would, it would look like this, arrogance. That's what it would look like. Why did you do that to God? You knew the ordinance. You knew the boundaries. You knew the ground rules of life, not death. And yet, eh, whatever. You spurned God. Why did you do that? I would say to you, friends, as you, as you, as you have difficult conversations, I would say something to you. I, man, I'm hoping you listen to me on this because it's going to keep you, it's going to keep you straight in times of controversy. I would say to you, Absolutely refuse. Refuse to argue belief systems. Refuse. I will not argue belief systems. Because people always, you ever notice that people front load what they, what they believe? Well, you know, don't you believe? In other words, now it's a loaded question. If I disagree with you, all of a sudden, I, mean, I have to agree with you to be right. 
Well, don't you believe that God this, or don't you believe that God that? No, I'm not going to argue philosophy for philosophy. Because the problem comes down to authority. Now, I need you to understand that. If you've been asleep this morning, just wake up for the next, just like six minutes, give me six minutes. The issue is authority. People are dug in on what they're dug in on because they've taken the throne that was God's and they've put themselves on it. And that doesn't make them mean, it makes them human. And so what people do is they say, well, I just don't believe that. Well, if we're going to go down that road, then I can believe whatever I want to believe. I mean, your, your word's just as good as mine. My word's just as good as yours. I don't talk about belief system. Do what Nathan did. Notice that Nathan said, why did you do what was evil in God's sight? Not mine, David. I'm coming to you. And so I would say this to you, friends. When somebody says, so you're telling me that you believe? No, I don't believe that. The Bible says that. I don't believe that. I mean, I do believe it, but let me tell you why I believe it. I'm not a robot. Like, you know, I just just didn't open my mind one day and God like downloaded a bunch of theology and boom, now I'm good to go. I'm not, I have a mind, I have a will, I have a heart, I have a soul, I have, I have critical thinking skills. But you see, my life was changed by a God that created the heavens and the earth. My life was changed and my sins were forgiven by a man who died on a cross and came out of a grave. And and because he came out of that grave, it tells me he has the authority over life. So because he has the authority over life, he has the authority over me. And so because he has the authority over me, if you don't line up with that, you're not arguing against me. You're saying that you are arguing against the very laws of the creator God. And I'm telling you, that's a dangerous position. So insert whatever issue. I mean, you could list a whole host of sins, a whole host of of worldviews. You could do all kinds of things. And I would say, do what Nathan did. Nathan made David deal with his God. Not Nathan. And you're not bypassing it by doing that. Because you see, in today's world, down is up and up is down. Anything I want to be. How many times have you heard this? What's what's true for me? Right? Man, I just, you guys have seen me get worked up before, right? You know why I get really worked up over stuff? It's not because I'm just hyper, which I am. No, I hate deception. I hate it. I hate it. I hate what it does to people because I get to see when nobody's around and when I'm in their homes and when I'm on the phone and when I'm in my office and I'm walking through or any of our staff, we get to see the back end of deception and what it does. And I can't stand it, man. It it does something to me. In today's popular world, anything goes. I, I love what that great American who took so many stands in his life, Booker T. Washington, he said it this way. He said, a lie doesn't become truth, wrong doesn't become right, and evil doesn't become good just because it's accepted by a majority. Think about that. That is a, could anything be more true about America? Right? It's not right just because the majority says it is. You are an ambassador of God. And I will tell you something. On a side note, if you will keep the conversation rooted in the authority of God, you are far more likely to become an ally 
than an adversary. Just keep the person working with God's authority. I told you, keep the conversation grounded in God's authority. Keep it grounded in God's authority. And let me tell you, people, are, people will, they don't want to do that, man. I mean, they pivot, stiff arm, sidestep. They'll go into all kinds of other issues. I've learned when it comes to sharing my faith, I keep coming back to center. I keep coming back to center. No, I'm not going to talk to you about your dad. The issue's not with your dad. The issue's not with, I know you had a horrible story. The issue's with your God. And you have a decision to make about who's going to be the, who sits on the throne of your life. I'm here to help you get to the place where you honor the God that sits on the throne of your life. And if you're going to do that, then you have to fall into submission under that. And that's where freedom is. Now, if you read the rest of the story, it got really bad for David. But David did repent. One of the things I love about this story is look in verse 13. After Nathan brings him some pretty bad news, it says that David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. You see, there's no restoration without Nathan's honesty. Healing doesn't come unless he has the conversation. So I want to leave you with something this morning. This verse isn't about Nathan and David, but the principle is true. And it's very true for this situation, and it's very true in my life. I've seen it happen too many times to count. Paul was talking to the church at Corinth, and, and they were in this debate over who was the best apostle and who's, you know, who should we follow and all these kind of things. And Paul makes a principle here, and it's a principle of, it's really a principle that's grounded in agriculture. And, and, and this is what he says. Look in verse uh, chapter, uh, it's on the screen for you, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul said, look, each of us did the work that God, the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your heart. Apollos watered it. But it was God who made it grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose. And let me tell you why that matters today for you, okay? Sometimes you're the planter. When it comes to having difficult conversations about Jesus, have them. When it comes to controversial topics, don't avoid it. You are the appointed person. Don't avoid it. Don't avoid it. Never avoid it. But understand, sometimes you're going to be the planter. You know what? I, I, I do have the gift of evangelism. I do. I test out for it pretty high, but I'm not a harvester. I, don't, I mean, I, I harvest sometimes. But I have found over the course of my life that for whatever reason... I tend to be a seed sower more often than I'm a harvester. And I don't really know why that is. But I share the gospel in all kinds of ways. I share the gospel in all kinds of ways, in, in many different creative ways. But I know people that they're just like these Holy Ghost combines. It's crazy. Like, you know, they can walk into the Southwest, whole plane gets saved. For real. They, they baptize like on the jetway or something. I, it's like, I'm like how, I never get to do that sort of thing, you know? It just doesn't, I, I, I don't see the harvest. But I can promise you 
that every one of you that have come to Christ, whoever it was that led you to Jesus in that moment, there were scores of people that planted those seeds for years, for years. Paul says, so sometimes I plant, I said, in, in this particular case, in the, the work in Corinth, he said, I was the planter and Apollos was the cultivator. You know what the cultivator is, don't you? There's three phases, right? All of you Franklin people, right, to farming. You know, I just go to Whole Foods, dude. I don't really care how it gets there, you know. You know well, you better, right? So sometimes you plant and then sometimes you harvest, but it's the work in the middle. And you've all done this kind of work. You've labored with a person. You've, you've shared the truth of the gospel with them many times. You've walked with them many times. You've worked with them many times, and you just keep watering it, watering, and you don't really ever see anything. And then one day you get a phone call like six or seven years later, hey, I just want you to know I gave my life to Christ. What? And you thought it was all for nothing. Sometimes you're the cultivator, and then sometimes you're the harvester. And I would just leave you, friends, with understanding. The bottom line is it takes all three. It takes all three, and I would just say to you, whatever you do, have the conversation. You know, it means a lot to us that you would come here today and be a part of who we are. It really does matter to us more than you might realize. Sometimes I think we underestimate the power we have to influence people. You know, if you would look around your world, you'd be amazed at how many people would receive what you have to say to them. You could be a digital missionary. You don't have to post everything on Facebook or we're not asking you to go on your favorite social platform, but I would challenge you to look around your world. I guarantee you might have a friend, even in a different state or another part of the world, something was said today, whether a sermon, a prayer, a song, something was said that could mean a lot to them, man, send it to them. And you'd be amazed at how much of a difference that could make.